that. Some guys are going to bring out a prop for me for our message this morning out of Ephesians chapter 4. So I don't want our security team to pull their guns out or anything. This is planned. Any action that happens towards the platform, our security guys are like this. You don't know where they are, but I do. Go ahead and set those up, guys. Thank you very much. If you're in Ephesians chapter 4, say amen. All right, let's read the first six verses together. You ready? Let's not uh, let that distract. I'm preaching to myself right now. The disappointment of that song or the loudness of this scale distracts you. Uh, We will get into the message. God has something for us today. Verse number one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Title of the message is this, Keeping the Unity. Keeping the Unity. I want you to go back to verse number one because because really this is the, the principle on which the whole book of Ephesians swings. The first three chapters we've been understanding the gospel. And now verse 1 of chapter 4 is the transitional verse to living out the gospel. It's the transition from theology to application. And look at it. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to live in a way, walk in a way, conduct your lives in a way that is worthy of somebody that has truly been saved by the gospel. Now, to understand really the essence of what he's getting at, you got to understand the word he chose to use that we translated into worthy. The root meaning of the word gives the idea of balancing the scales. So, so this word would have been commonly used. I want to try to illustrate this. It was commonly used back in Paul's day, the word worthy, to describe um, that a worker or an employee or a servant would have been worthy of their wage. And if, a, if, if an employee was going to be granted a $100 wage, then the other side of the scale needed to be balanced or equal with that by $100 worth of work. In other words, if they said, and they said this often, that worker is worth his wage, then it meant that the scale is balanced. He put in $100 worth of work and he got a $100 wage. Does that make sense? Well, what does that have to do with Ephesians 4? Well, remember, Paul just left the idea of understanding the gospel. So on one side of the scale, you have the truth of the gospel. We've preached about that. But on the other side of the scale, it's not just Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And it's living out the truth of the gospel. And Paul is saying a life that is worthy of the gospel. Somebody that is worthy of the gospel that saved them is a life that is equal on both sides. They have an equal understanding of the gospel as they do an equal application of the gospel. Now watch this. This is why it's important. Because if this represents understanding the gospel and this represents living the gospel, some Christians are living just like this. 
Their, their, their Christian life is all about doing. Their Christian life is all about checking off the obedience box. That's how they live their life. What I have to do, how I have to perform in order to stay in favor and in love with God's good grace. They don't understand the gospel. The essence of the gospel is Christ has died for your sin, paid the price for your sin, rose again so you can have victory over sin. And the gospel is Christ's power living in you. If you don't have a good understanding of the gospel and you're, you, all you do is try to live out the gospel without truly understanding the gospel, you're going to be motivated by all the wrong things. And you're going to get burnt out quick. Yet, if you have all understanding, your intellect is challenged and, and, and you have a theological brain and you know the church lingo and you know the gospel, but you don't live it. Now you're not in obedience to the word of God because the gospel changes you from the inside out, but it does make its way out. And it should, by the way. Paul is saying a life that, that, that is worthy of the gospel is one that is equal on both sides. What they believe is equal to how they live. Does that make sense? I'll come back to that at the end of the message. The topic that Paul chose to dive into as a way that we can apply the gospel, the very first topic is the topic of unity. Look at verse 3. This is our subject of the text. Endeavoring, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now I want to explain this because the word keep is very key. He said, I want you to keep the unity. What does that mean? He wants you to preserve the unity. He wants you to guard the unity. He, he wants you to maintain the unity. The clear implication is that we, 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 we are being asked to preserve something we already have. You don't preserve what you don't have. And if you say keep the unity, apparently as a church, as a body of believers, we, we have some things in common. So the idea here is not that we're trying to attain unity or work for unity. No, we have that. God, or through Paul, is challenging us and ordering us and beseeching us to maintain the unity in our church that he's already given to us. So if you're saved... And then you've been scripturally baptized from the membership of Fellowship Baptist Church. Guess what? You have already been unified by the Spirit with other saved, baptized members of Fellowship Baptist Church. In spite of your differences. But Paul goes even a step further to describe this unity as a bond of peace. A bond of peace. That word bond has the idea of holding something together by chains. Or by a rope. It makes sense why Paul would have that image in his mind. Because as he wrote this letter, he was chained to a Roman guard. And so he told this church that this unity, this oneness that you have in Christ, it's a bond. It holds you together. Logically, then the next question would be this. What binds us together? What is it that unifies the believers to each other in Fellowship Baptist Church? Well, Paul says seven things in verse 4, 5, and 6. Look at it. There is one body. That's where he starts. One body. What is he talking about? The church body. So just as our physical body has many parts, limbs and organs, yet it still is just one body, so is our church body. We have many different members, but we're one church. One local body. Then he goes on and says, you have one spirit. See, before you were saved, you were guided by your flesh. You were dead in your sins. But when we got saved, we are given the spirit of God to guide us. We all have that in common if you're saved today. Then there's one hope. 
Before you were saved, the only thing you had to look forward to was the judgment of hell for all of eternity. For those of us that have been saved, we have this in common. We get to go to heaven. It's our hope. We also share this in common, one Lord. We're no longer ruled by, by, by the lordship of our flesh. Or our desires, or our impulses, or the devil himself. We all profess, if we're saved, that, that we are under the rulership and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says one faith. This is talking about our doctrine. This is talking about our belief system. The Bible and its clear teachings are what we're unified around. And many in our church, listen, many in our church have not always been unified around a Bible-centric doctrine. Some in our church have been saved out of religions that are works-based, performance-based. It never stops with Jesus. It's Jesus plus something. But a lot of those folks have realized that Jesus' death on the cross is enough to save their soul. And they came trusting that alone. And here's what we share in common. A Bible-centric faith, doctrine. And then he says one, baptism. Those who are members of fellowship are members because at some point you submitted yourself, not just to the Lordship of Christ, but to the church by way of baptism. That, that means that all of us are unified to one another as we, as we shared the celebration of new life in Christ. The old man was buried and we are raised to walk in newness of life. We share that in common. Then he says one God and one Father, meaning we're all adopted into God's family. We all have different earthly fathers, but if you're saved, we share the same heavenly Father. Isn't that great? So no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter when you got saved or what you got saved, saved out of, me and you, if we're both saved, we share a spiritual oneness. We, we share a unity around these seven things. I would say it this way. God has made us one. He has. Now Paul is beseeching us to keep or preserve or guard this oneness. He's saying, hey, God has, has brought you into unity with a local church through these seven things. Now it's up to you to maintain it. I'd say it this way. Keep one what God has made one. That's the clear idea. He's not asking you to, a, to, attain, to, to attain unity or to somehow manufacture it. He's already done that. We have spiritual oneness. But now he's telling you, it's up to you, church. It's up to you, individual members, to keep one what God has made one. That's where the word in verse 3, endeavoring, comes in. Because in order to preserve the unity, it's going to take some endeavoring. You know what that word means? Hard work. For instance, growing up, I had an older brother and I had a younger sister. We shared some things in common. We didn't, we didn't produce or manufacture this, these common things or this unity ourselves. It's just things that we were born into. I'm talking about things like our last name. We all share the last name Prater, which means we shared the same parents, which means all three of us shared the same grandparents. We shared the same cousins. We were privileged enough to share the same faith, the same church, many of the same Sunday school teachers, many of the same friends. I would say that, that we were given the same treatment, but God knows that Tiffany was treated better than we were. We inherited this unity. We didn't attain it, but our parents did expect us to maintain it. 
They expected us to keep the unity. They didn't allow us to just go around fighting all the time. That's where our living together was very difficult. Because all three of us were very different from each other. My brother was stubborn. My sister was sassy. And I was spiritual. (laughs) We all had these different temperaments. I was great, just ask me. And we had different personalities and talents, which meant that on a regular basis, we had to endeavor our work really hard to maintain the unity in our home that was given to us by our parents. Or we would fight all the time. Now that's not just true among siblings. That's true in a marriage. That's true in a workplace. That's certainly true in a church. Keeping the unity requires hard work. So what does that look like? What does it look like for every member to do their part to endeavor to to preserve the unity in our church? Well, verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know what your role is to preserve the unity of Fellowship Baptist Church if you're a church member? Conduct yourself in a Christ-like way. No, no, look at that list. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance. Are those not all behaviors that our Savior exemplified during His earthly ministry? He was lowly or humble when He took a bucket of water and a towel and knelt down on the, the dirty floor and washed the dirty feet of His disciples like He was their servant. He was meek when when he gently dealt with a prostitute woman who barged into a house that he was eating at, fell at his feet, took her hair down, which was inappropriate in that day, and began to wash his feet with her hair. Even though his own disciples dealt harshly with her, he was gentle. He was long-suffering or patient when as the religious rulers wanted to throw stones at that adulterous woman right there in public and just quickly labor her, uh, label her as, as a forgotten woman who, who went too far to be forgiven, Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to treat her with patience and with grace. And he calmly and slowly dealt with her sin because he loved her. He demonstrated forbearance, or that means tolerance, when for three and a half years he mentored 12 very ordinary men Twelve guys that would do foolish thing after foolish thing after foolish thing during their three and a half years with Jesus. Yet he never gave up on them. In love, he kept, he just put up with them. And all their weaknesses and all their baggage. That's how we preserve the unity that God has given us in this place. We demonstrate Christ-like conduct through lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearance. Now we're going somewhere. Because if this is our role, if this is our job, our responsibility, then it would make sense that every one of us in here this morning take a few minutes to examine our conduct to see if it lines up with the conduct necessary for keeping the unity. In fact, you should evaluate your conduct in every relationship that you have. Not just church relationships, but marriage relationships and parent-child relationships and child-parent relationships and work relationships. Listen, if you're quick to get angry in any of those relationships, you know what you need to work on? Long-suffering. If you're the kind of person that is insensitive, bullish, rough, bossy, quick to impose on other people, you know what you need to work on? Meekness, gentleness, 
If you have a tendency to be proud, arrogant, egocentric, or boastful, you know what you need to work on? Lowliness. If you struggle with being intolerant with the shortcomings and weaknesses of other people, you know what you need to work on? Forbearance. The point is that we need to make every effort to develop these Christ-like virtues and then live them out in our relationships if we hope to keep the unity that God has so graciously given this church through His Spirit. I have to conclude that disunity in our church, disunity in your marriage, disunity in your family, disunity at your workplace can always be traced back to conduct that is not Christ-like. Somebody wasn't patient. Somebody wasn't gentle. Somebody wasn't humble. And somebody wasn't tolerant. In summary, here's what Paul's saying. To keep one what God has made one, we all have to be dedicated to exhibiting Christ-like conduct toward each other. That's really the message. It's truly that simple. Paul is teaching us that, that if someone is serious about living out the gospel, they will be serious about preserving the unity in their church. Don't miss this next statement. It's inconsistent for a Christian to claim that the gospel can save everybody, yet struggle to get along with anybody. I'm going to say it again. It's inconsistent for a Christian or a church member to claim that the gospel can save everybody, which is what we've been preaching. And you said amen to, yet struggle to get along with anybody. It's inconsistent for a member of our church to say amen when I preach about the power of the gospel to, to unite and reconcile all men to God and to each other, but then to conduct themselves in a way that threatens that unity. Paul is trying to get at something here. It's not good enough to just believe that the gospel can unify us. We have to live it. He's asking us to prove what we believe by endeavoring or putting the work in to keep the unity. And that's through Christ-like conduct. That is so easy to understand up here. But when somebody offends you, conducting yourselves with lowliness is real hard. That's really easy to understand theologically. But when somebody's mean to your kid, to show forbearance is very difficult. Oh, that's really easy to understand in our head. But when someone talks behind your back, it's really hard not to fire back at them. That's why Paul said you must endeavor to keep the unity. If you were sitting there polishing your halo over your head right now, thinking I've got this covered then you aren't, get, you aren't understanding the essence of the work that has to go into preserving this unity. It is a church member constantly dying to themselves. Not being easily offended. Not being boastful. Not being selfish. Not serving for vainglory. It is a constant endeavoring for a church our size to get along. It is. Now, some, some, some church members, they'll conclude, well, the best thing I can do is just stay away from the person. I just, our church is so big that I can just sit on the other side of the auditorium and walk out a different door than they walk out of. That doesn't take any work. Hello, that's not endeavoring. Endeavoring is going out of your way to be lowly. 
and meek and long-suffering and forbear. Endeavoring is not ignoring the individual that makes you mad. Somebody say amen. amen. Endeavoring is not ignoring the, the, the hard talk that needs to happen. You might say, well, I'm taking the high road. That's not always the high road. That's the lazy road sometimes. Endeavoring is not just settling to go to church with somebody and never, ever talk to them. That's not unity. That's not unity at all. Unity is genuinely loving each other. Unity is genuinely being okay with each other despite our differences and disagreements. That's unity. Unity is not ignoring each other. Unity is going through the hard work of demonstrating Christ-like conduct when Christ-like conduct is not easy. So I want to illustrate this. I think it'll come to life if I do. I've, I've asked some people to help me. If I asked you to help me, would you make your way right here to the front, right in front of that scale? That's the Mills, the Thralls, the Perezes, the Paytons, Miss Kittle, Chris and Josh, and Damien. Would you guys come up if you would, please? Chris, why don't you take this side? Everybody line up side by side. If you're in a couple, make sure you stand by your spouse. Josh uh, or, or Damien, why don't you hold this side? Chris, Josh, you go stand by, by Chris. Uh-oh, you're going to have to like throw it over their heads now. Thank you. Miss Sheila, I know you can jump rope. Now, now, Chris, you go all the way to the end. Everybody stand in front of the scale, side by side. And I want everybody to grab a hold of one of, those, one of the sides of rope there. So like six on one side, five on the other, something like that. Does that make sense? Or you can just, yeah, that'll work. Very good. I want to illustrate what, what Ephesians chapter 4 looks like. Hey, my OCDs bother me. Bill, can you scoot over a little bit? Yeah, that, that way. I know you want to be close to your wife and all. Wes, take a step. All right, good. Now I can focus. Okay, very good. <laughs> the, these are all individual Christians that are all members of the same church. Okay? They all share a spiritual oneness, don't they? A unity that God has made possible through His Son and the Holy Spirit. What are they? It's right there in the front, those seven things. One body, one spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and Father. They all share these same things in common, every one of them. In fact, the reason why I have a rope is because they're bound together by these things. I didn't, I didn't want to take the time to chain every one of them together. But they're all holding the ropes. They're, they're, they're all saying this. We are bonded together by these spiritual things. Now, here's what makes this so special. And here's why this kind of unity can only be attributed to God. Because everybody holding this rope is different. There are racial differences. And by the way, that's a good thing. There are different family and religious backgrounds represented uh, before you. I mean, there, there are some that, that, that like, like Chris, he's, he's ridden our bus to church since he was a little boy, the guy on your far left. But we're, Josh right here, he never had a choice whether he was good to come to church or not. He's a drug baby. He got drug on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There, there are different life stages, aren't there? We've got teenagers, got middle-aged people. We've got a widow. We've got white-haired saints, which only signifies wisdom 
We've got a single adult. We've got different personalities up here. I know every one of them. They're also very different. Damien has a big personality down there if you get to know him. But you talk to someone like Wes Payton right here, and, and he's more of like a one-on-one kind of guy. Big rooms like this aren't, aren't really his thing. We got different professions. We got a dentist down here. We got a plumber right here. We got a bus mechanic right here. We got a guy that owned his own tire shop for years. We got a manager of a cell phone business thing, whatever he does down there. <laughs> Miss Nino has a doctorate in piano performance. I, I, I'm not sure, Wes, if you had to get a doctorate in bus mechanics or not. Probably not. So, so eight years of school probably wasn't your thing. We got different passions represented here. Different interests. Different hobbies. Different talents here. We got different perspectives. They were raised by different parents, so they're going to ha- have been told and taught different things. Like different things about life in general. They've got different perspectives on relationships, probably different perspectives on politics, different perspectives on money, different perspectives on work, different perspectives on on parenting and raising children. I mean, everyone's going to have a little bit different opinion of things. Here's what I want to tell you, church. Differences are okay. You understand that different people can hold the rope and be unified around the things that really matter. Unity in our church doesn't mean uniformity. Catch that. Unity doesn't strip any one of these folks of their individuality. It doesn't strip any one of these folks of of how God created them fearfully and, and wonderfully. They're also very unique and that is a good thing. But here's a problem. Here's a problem. When everybody is so different, those differences have potential to divide. This is where endeavoring comes in. This is where working to keep the unity comes into play. If we are to keep one, what God has made one, all of these people so different from each other are going to have to, on a regular basis, put in the work of showing Christ-like conduct to each other, even when it's not easy. Lowliness, long-suffering, meekness, forbearance. But here's what happens so often. God's people respond to each other's differences in a way That is like opposite of Christ-like conduct. Let me illustrate. On your right, we have a couple, Bill and Deanne Mills, that have been members of our church for years. When did you all join our church, Brother Bill, Miss Deanne? 1976. That's, I think that's eight years before I was born. And, And they've been saved for a lot longer than that. So they know the ins and outs of our culture. In fact, they've worked to kind of develop a lot of what our culture is today. They've given to our church for very long. They put a lot into our church. They they have, have, have been called by God to fulfill very, very important positions in our church. Sunday school teachers for years. And they've served in the deacons ministry for, for years and years and years and done a great job at it. But over here on, on your left and my right is is Daniel and Nino Thrall, Ninoska. And over there is Damien. They're brand new members. They've been saved, yes, but but they they don't know the ins and outs of the culture of this place yet. They don't get the inside jokes. 
They don't know everything there is to know about what we've known for 20 more years. They don't know what this church used to be before it remodeled a 70,000 square foot grocery building. Maybe they can't have the level of appreciation that, that Bill and Deanne would have from giving to make this building built and, and, and to actually doing some of the labor inside of this building. All they know is they loved what they saw when they came to this church. They believe God wanted them to be a part of this church and they faithfully and, 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 and joyfully submitted to that and joined the membership of Fellowship Baptist Church and we're grateful. We're thankful, but here's what can happen. An established family, and this is not true of the bills. I want you to know all these situations are hypothetical. But an established family who, 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 who can be set in their ways and familiar with how church used to be around here can have a hard time as our church is growing and more people are coming in and invading their territory, stepping foot on things that they used to do, and now they got to share the love. And they don't understand what we used to be to get to this place. They just walk in here and think that they own the place. And, and instead of having lowliness and meekness, Bill and Deanne can kind of get harsh. Kind of standoffish in their pride. We've been here longer than anybody else. We made this thing happen. And it's like all the attention's going to the new members. And this church is getting way too big for me. Is that possible, by the way? Like we're supposed to reach people like big churches are good. So that's a good problem. Just wanted to insert that in there, even though I know it's not your heart. So let's just say that, I don't know, they sever themselves from the rope. They, they, they is this a word, unbond themselves? I don't know if it's a word or not, but I just made it up. So Bill and Deanne, I want you to come on the platform. Everybody else stay where you are. And it's not like they aren't unified. They're just not unified with them. They're unified to each other. They hold on to the same pride. And, and the same standing of being established here and making this thing happen and struggling with other members. But then we have two families that have younger kids. That's the Paytons and the Perez's. They both have young daughters. You have Jamie. That belongs to Wesley and Kara. And you have Azul, who belongs to the Perez's. I, I just ate at their house this last week, and I quickly learned that Azul is a firecracker. <laughs> like, legit. Somebody lit her before we came in there. <laughs> and we had a good time. And because their daughters interact with each other at church a lot, and maybe we'll eventually even go to the same Christian academy, then let's just hypothetically say that because Azul's the firecracker, she comes and pushes Jamie down at church. Now that happens, right? You know, they're going to laugh it off for a while. Wes is going to say, get yourself off the floor. Kara's going to say, what happened? <laughs> it's okay once, but then it happens again the next Sunday. And I want you to know this is purely hypothetical, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying your kid's a mean kid, just a firecracker. <laughs> And it happens again. And that, see, that's when endeavoring comes in. Because your kid's mean to my kid. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it. And there's like no apologies going on. It's just that the nursery workers tell me this happened. The children's church workers tell me this happened. 
and we're hearing it from them. There's no remorse, anything going on. It happens two or three times. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to pick up our toys and leave. We're not showing forbearance. You don't love our kid. We don't love you. Your firecracker, she can pop on somebody else's kid. (laughs) She's not going to pop on ours. And so they sever themselves. Come on up here. They don't forbear. Come, come Come on up to this side over here. They don't forbear. They don't show long suffering. They jump to conclusions. They won't forgive. And they're unified. They're just unified around their cause. They're not unified in those things. Then you have holding the rope, Miss Yula. And then you have Brother Chris and Brother Josh. Now they represent two totally different life stages. Miss Eula has been faithful to serve the Lord here for a lot of years. Her husband, Fred Kittle, before God took him home to be at the Lord, was a faithful trustee in our church, a faithful man. I have watched Miss Eula endure so many trials and tribulations in her life and stay faithful to the Lord through every single one of them. She's worked hard for what she enjoys. She has an amazing family. But she kind of represents, well, old school. Old school church. Old school way of life. Old school work ethic. Old school perseverance. And you got Josh and Chris. And again, these are good young men. But they represent a demographic that tends to show entitlement. I'm not saying they do. In fact, I had Josh work for me at my house and and he didn't even... Ask for money. I didn't give him money either, but he, he didn't ask. And so he's not an entitled guy. Chris isn't either. These guys are, these guys are great guys. Good spirit, but the will tell you. Um, but they do represent a life stage. And, and don't you know, this life stage tends to bug that life stage. Yeah. They'll go to that life stage. You wouldn't believe what I saw on Facebook. And this life, this life stage is like, what's Facebook? You need to get your face out of Facebook and put it in the book. <laughs> right? And she'll lecture them. And these guys feel like, like they don't have to work. They, they want at age 20 what it took their parents 50 years to get. It took her 50 years to get. These guys have a hangnail and they can't come to church. She lost a husband in an airplane wreck and still comes to church. And, and, and here's what, I'm, I'm so glad Miss Sheila didn't have this spirit. But here's what can happen. Because our church is multi-generational. Miss Eula likes, she likes the old songs. These guys like the new songs. She's like, where did the organ go? These guys didn't even notice we had an organ in the first place. <laughs> Miss Eula loved holding a hymn book when she sang. And now we put it on screen. She liked to follow the, the, the notes. She remembered church when it was a little smaller. A little more intimate around here. These guys have known nothing else but a big old church with all kinds of ministries and opportunities. She was there for 9-11. She remembers that these guys, I don't think they were born. I'm just saying that she could lose patience with this group real quick. And they could lose tolerance with her real quick. And she would fail to understand them and they would fail to understand here. And so then in our church, we got two generations going just like this the whole time. There's no lowliness, no forbearance, no Christ-like conduct. I won't make you walk up upstairs, but why don't you and Chris come up? Just go right over there, guys.
And so we got a young generation that wants church their way. It's not considered at all about what church used to be or what some people appreciate about our church. And so, so, so look at this now. What began as one unified church around spiritual oneness. Look how it's fragmented. Now, you can't tell me I'm making this up. This stuff happens. I'm thankful our church is strong. I'm thankful our church cares about keeping the unity. So this is preventative maintenance for us. But there are a lot of churches that I preach in around the United States of America that, that, that they are one church in name, but they are 20 churches inside the building. And it's because at some point they stopped endeavoring to keep the unity. You tell me, what church is going to be more effective for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? A church that is bound together by these things or a church that is fragmented by these issues? This is why churches die. This is why churches lose their effectiveness. Because they let little things overshadow the main things. And instead of demonstrating Christ-like conduct, they sever themselves from it because they're prideful and they're impatient and they're intolerant and they're harsh. And so the question is, if you were holding the rope and you were challenged and you were offended and you were hurt, would you stay holding on to the rope or would you walk away? Would you put in the hard work of saying, I'm staying together on the things that matter. I'm not going to let this sidetrack me. I'm not going to let this hurt me. I'm not going to let this sideline me. I'm not quitting. I'm not walking away. I'm going I'm to celebrate what we have in common. And I'm going to do my part to keep one what God has made one. Even if that person on the other side of the rope is not concerned about doing their part. Thank you. You can put down the rope and have a seat. Thank you. Yeah, give him a hand. That's great. I want to close the message the way I opened it, with a scale. On one side of the scale is understanding our responsibility to keep the unity. I've made that crystal clear. The bucket's full of understanding. If you walked away from the message and didn't understand it, I don't think it was my fault. I tried my best to preach it clear. You understand that it's your job, your responsibility. In this bucket is your Christ-like conduct. Live in it. What does the scale look like in your life right now? If you are walking worthy of the gospel as a church member, keeping the unity like Paul says, then it's going to look just like this. It's not okay to just understand you need to keep the unity, but refuse to endeavor to do it. You must understand the need for it, and you must work hard at it. And you just can't work hard to do it without understanding that when you do it, you are picturing the Lord Jesus Christ and his loneliness for you. And his long suffering in your life. And his meekness. So you've got to understand why. You've got to understand what. And if you want to live the gospel worthy of living the gospel, you want to live a life worthy, this is what it looks like. Understanding and living. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. 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 Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.